What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. And so much more importantly, the Bentonville Film Festival is upon us. And it is running between June 22nd and the 26th. And there's uh, there's some more information I'll give you as we move along. Uh, it, it, there's an online uh, situation from uh, the 22nd to the uh, to the third. And for tickets, you go to BentonvilleFilm.org. Uh, it's an important film festival for for many reasons. First of all, the talent that has been coming out of Bentonville uh, is just tremendous. And since they've they've only been around since only been around since 2015, they've made a tremendous uh, a tremendous uh, amount of noise. And a big reason too is the diversity that's featured there. Uh, women and diversity in uh, in film is their focus, and it's not just a statement. It's a uh, it's their reason for being actually absolutely terrific, and I'm proud to have their chair uh, of the 8th Annual, 8th Annual Bentonville Film Festival, Gina Davis, uh, Academy Award winner and Golden Globe winner. Gina, how are you? I'm swell. How are you? Doing terrific. I imagine you've got to be very excited uh, leading up to b- this, but there's got to be a, a lot of, uh, I guess, last-minute details uh, falling into place as well. Oh sure, yeah. We always are. Uh, things are happening uh, on the ground, and uh, you know, in 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 real time, uh, a lot. And even during it, you know, things things come up, things change, and you have to be kind of on the ball. But it's it's terrific fun. How much different is the anticipation of a film festival, and, and certainly like Bentonville, where you you're concentrating on d- giving different voices and varied voices, something? How, how much different is is the expectations of what you think will happen, and, and what turns out to be the reality? Um, well, we didn't know what to expect the first year, of course. Uh, yeah. we didn't know how the what the reaction was going to be, but. Uh, uh, People loved it. I mean, we had like thirty thousand people come uh, to the first one, and uh, and and uh, and it's been like that every time that it exceeds our expectations. And partly because the local people are so supportive and and into it, and they want to be uh, volunteers, and they want to help, and um, but uh, but it, and people are just so jazzed about it. The, the incredibly diverse directors uh, uh, that we have coming and writers, it's amazing. I, I got to imagine that looking back, and, and this is not a small sample size anymore. Eight years is a, is, is a wonderful run, but uh, the accolades that you've gotten and that the uh, the festival has gotten in general is uh, you got to look back and be pretty proud. But at the same time, you, you, you've got to look to the future and say, where is this going to end up, you know, 100 years from now, 50 years from now? Are you thinking uh, about things like that or is it just kind of a year to year situation? 
No, no, I want I want to see change. I, I you know I, I want th- this festival to um, create change, and I want to do that. I have a research institute institute too that looks at on screen characters, and uh, I want to make a deep change if we can, uh, which I think we are um, in representation uh, because. Uh, it, it's so it's it's so stubborn, especially behind the camera. The, the number of uh, female writers and directors and cinematographers and and all of that um, is uh, is very very low. And and we need to we need to do better in our festival. Like this year, eighty two percent of the competition is from creators who identify as female or gender non-conforming, and uh, 65% are um, directed by people uh, who identify as BIPOC or Asian, Pacific Islander. Um, 62% are directed by people who identify as LGBTQIA. So um, so we're really hammering this. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what the festival is about. And uh, I, I love it. Well, you know what's exciting to me? Uh, you know, I'm 55 years old, and I have a daughter who's 19 years old. I, I personally think that she's growing up, and it's certainly not a perfect world. We all know that. But a much much better world than her mom grew up in, and, and certainly my mom grew up in. Right. And 30 years ago, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation about 30,000 people coming to the first festival that you did in Bentonville, Arkansas. Not, you know, again, Bentonville, Arkansas is a beautiful place, but it's a film festival. And 30,000 people showed up to the first one. And we just wouldn't be having this conversation back then when we were talking about diversity and and, uh, and gender neutral and women. Um, it, it's, it's a different world. It, we got a long way to go, but it is getting better. Uh, that's a great observation. It's absolutely true that, that we wouldn't be having this conversation uh, 30 years ago, for sure. Um, and and I agree with you just completely with what you said that um, that we've made a lot of progress and uh, and we still have um, a long ways to go. But um, people are focused on it. You know, it's it's very exciting time. Is I know you you got to be kind of you've got to be kind of neutral on this, but are you uh, are there any particular films? And if you don't want to name them, don't name them. But are there any films that you're really uh, impressed by this year? And I know you got to be careful. You're walking a a, a tightrope there. But uh, is there anything that uh, that stands out to you this year that you say, uh, hey, this could be a real breakout and this could be a a game changer for uh, for for the particular filmmaker? Yeah, actually. Um we have an incredible opening night film uh, this year, which is a world premiere, and the movie is called Seven Faces of Jane, and it has seven very distinguished and talented directors, um, so they've broken it up into little parts, and, uh, and that's, we're very excited about that movie. It's really great. Um, there's also uh, a lot of buzz around this movie called Smile or Hug, and Danny Trejo is uh, the star of that movie, so... Um, yeah, we have, we have a lot of stuff that we think is going to be very exciting. 
All of this is uh, exciting to me. Uh, we'll be talking about it as we let you go. I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you, Gina. Thrilled to have you, and uh, good luck on the 22nd. I'm going to try to get down there and, uh, and and see some of these films for the uh, for the first time. Uh, at, and there's nothing like a festival to see a film breaking out. So anything you want to add before we leave, and certainly before you leave, I, I gave the website. I'll give it again, but any social media sites or, or other additional websites, please give us so we can follow along. With what's got what's going on with you and the festival? Okay, great. Yeah, and I I hope I see you down there. That'd be great. No, no doubt about it. Uh, Gina Davis, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Take care. G- Gina Davis, Academy Award winner, Golden Globe Award winner. And obviously very excited about this film festival. And kudos to her. I mean, she's done a great job in, in what, she's, uh, you know, what she's been doing. Bentonville Film Festival. Bentonville, Arkansas. Right? Is that where Walmart started, Bentonville? Maybe, right? Sam Walden come from, Walton come from uh, um, Bentonville, Arkansas, possibly. But anyway, it's, uh, it, it's, it's upon us. It starts on the 22nd and goes through the 26th and again you can get uh if you don't get get to go to Arkansas uh you can go online and I'm laughing not because uh I just assume people aren't jumping on a plane going to Arkansas any uh anytime uh, soon but you know, certainly folks that are listening that are in the business uh not a bad place to go to make some contacts and, and see some great films and she mentioned Danny Trejo and uh, and if I could watch Danny Trejo in anything he's uh, he's a terrific actor but the you know the running time of this uh, in person is 22 uh, of January uh, of June rather and to the 26th and the uh, the online version online version goes through July 3rd and you know what um, film festivals are exciting they are certainly uh, have a step up when you have some someone the status of Gina Davis there, Academy Award winner and Golden Globe winner. I think she was nominated for uh, for Emmys and and anything that that's come up. Uh, you could uh, you could uh, see any award that's come up. You could see Gina Davis's name attached to it. Some of the films, um, a league of their own, of course, uh, The Long Kiss Goodbye, uh, Thelma and Louise, uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, how did she win the Academy Award for Accidental Taurus? She won uh, first Academy Award with, and you know she's uh, you know listen, just absolutely tremendous. Uh, she she won uh, well she was nominated for the award I'm reading here, uh, Academy Award for uh, Thelma and Louise, and and also she was nominated for the Golden Globe for her performance in that. She was absolutely terrific as Susan Sarandon was, and uh, just the, the two of them. Uh, just they did a great job in that, and you could see someone from a, a film like that, which was you know so uh, championing women in in so many different ways. But you could see that um, somebody from that from that film starting a festival like this. She's you know she's you know making herself um, a, a mark in so many people's careers, and she also earned a Golden Globe Award for a portrayal. The first female president of the United States hit show, Commander in Chief, 
I, I don't know that. She's ABC hit show, Commander-in-Chief. I don't remember that. Sorry, Gina. But uh, The Fly, I remember that. Beetlejuice, of course. And, uh, you know, so many other films. Tremendous work uh, on diversity and, and uh, you know, as far as women in film and uh, non-gender specific folks. And, you know, I know a lot of folks listen out there cringe or whatever. Hey, no way. It's, uh, it's important. It's an important film festival. Bettenville Film Festival is upon us. And the founder and chair of not-for-profit Gina Davis Institute, on gender and media is uh, is her creation as well. So only the Benton, Bentonville Film Festival, uh, the 22nd of June until until J- July 3rd, at least virtually there. Frank McKay signing off. Academy Award winner and Golden Globe winner Gina Davis has been our very special guest, and we'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to our LISC series in Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. The one thing that we have to be careful, we don't want to sensationalize a situation. We don't want to sensationalize a tragic, terrible, tragic situation. But for over a decade, in my mind, there's been no investigation going on into the deaths of 10 to 16 people, including a three-year-old, a toddler, and we're assuming the three-year-old, just terrible. And I've always maintained that it's a dirty little secret of somebody's, and it's swept under the rug, and if this was the cheerleading squad, or if this was a, you know, God forbid somebody from the softball team was here, girl next door, the prom queen, there would be peasants with pitchforks and torches out there clamoring and demanding answers for, you know, really what's been a completely stalled investigation. My problem or my issue right now is that I think the more we talk about it, the less chance that they could ignore about it. And to me, it is based on the fact that uh, human trafficking in this country and around the world is an epidemic. It is terrible. And it is something that's right here on Long Island. And I have with me, very proud to have a great jurist, wonderful judge. And he is responsible for setting up the first human trafficking court in New York. And his work is just unbelievable. Judge Fernando Camacho is our very special guest and thrilled to have him. Your Honor, how are you? Good, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. What I just said there, is there anything you want to correct me? Now, you are the expert to me on human trafficking, and you are one of those people that I yield to. Is there anything I said there that you'd like to correct me on? That is absolutely correct. Everything you said is right on point. Uh, the victims of uh, the, 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 the victims of sex trafficking, um, they are the forgotten souls. They're the most vulnerable people in our communities. It's, the, it's that little girl sitting in front of her computer who's looking for attention, who is depressed, and all of a sudden the trafficker's like, ah, you're pretty. Hey, 
Look at you. Come meet me. Um, we can have some fun together. Next thing you know, she is a victim and she is being trafficked. So you're absolutely correct. These are the forgotten souls. We don't want to we ignore them. We don't want to make believe they don't exist, but they're there and they're and they're suffering. Is it worse than you thought it was? Is it about what you thought it was? Is it getting better? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? What have you learned since you started the first human trafficking court? Well, I mean, you got to go back. I've been in the anti-trafficking uh, movement for, for, for over 20 years. And it actually goes back a little longer than that. Uh, when I first became a prosecutor in Manhattan in 1985, uh, my first assignment was the lobster ship where all the uh, little kids charged with prostitution would come through at 2 o'clock in the morning in their ridiculous outfits. And we'd play a game called Let's Make a Deal. And it would work like this. I, I as the prosecutor, would say, Judge, she's got six convictions. We're talking about 16-year-old kids here, actually probably younger, who lied about their ages, 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. And we would play Let's Make a Deal. And I would say as a prosecutor, Judge, 30 days in jail. She's got six convictions. And my friend, the legal and he said, Judge, 10 days, please. And the judge would cut it in half. All right, 20 days. And she'd go in the back crying, and me and my, my friend, the legal attorney, would look at each other and say, what are we doing? Well, we played that game for many years, starting in 85. We became a judge in 97. We're still playing that game. All right, then, here they come. Here comes the little 16-year-old. Judge, uh, and I would be the judge. Now, Judge, give her 60 days. She's got five. Judge, no, can you have 20 days? And I'd say, okay, 30 days, cut, cut in half. And again, it, it never made sense. It was it, it, to me, but we did it. We played it. It was let's make a deal, and that's how we dealt with victims of sex trafficking, because in uh, 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 persons engaged in prostitution, because we don't want to think about them. We we want to ignore them. We want to forget about them. So we put them in 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 the cell and make believe they don't exist, and 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 turn our backs to them. And then I kept going for a while. And in 2003, I was doing arraignments in Queens County when a 16-year-old runaway from Suffolk County came before the bench on an on a prostitution charge. Uh, her name was it is Siobhan, and uh, I, again, same game. Thirty days, judge. No, ten, just ten days. I'm looking at this kid. I'm saying to myself, enough, enough. I'm not doing this anymore. So I said, I'm not taking any plea. I want to know her story. She came back the next day. Her attorney told me her story, and it was a story of the same story I've heard since over and over and over again. These are runaways. They're throwaways. They were physically abused, sexually abused. They were looking for something, for someone to care about them, to love them. And they wound up in the hands of, you know, Mr. I hey, look at you. You know, you're so pretty. Oh, yeah. Let's go do some drugs. Okay. Um, you, you know, you, you, by the way, I got one to leave now. Can I leave? No, 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 no. You owe me. Uh, yeah, I spent thousand dollars on drugs on you. You're not going anywhere. You're going back to the hotel. And you're going to have sex with total strangers, dozens a day, until I tell you, you I tell you, you're done. So that is the real truth. That's that. That is sex trafficking, and it is still going all these years later. 36 years later, it's still going on in Suffolk County. If you drive down LIE or Sunrise Highway, you see those hotels or motels on the side of the road. Every weekend, there are dozens of little kids, little girls, um, uh, who are being trafficked, who are forced uh, to have uh, sex with complete and total strangers, uh, and they don't get to keep a dime. They just... They just, and when they try to leave, they can't leave. Um, so that is the truth. That is the reality. And these are the, the poor, lost, innocent souls within, in our midst, in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods that we just choose to ignore. If you're just joining us or if you're turning on your radio a little late, Judge Fernando Camacho is our very special guest. And to me, he's a heroic figure. And I said that the last time, long time ago, that we had him on. Just absolutely amazing. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Judge Camacho is here. And we're talking about human trafficking. And it's an epidemic. It's a serious epidemic. How bad is it here? Both you and I are talking in Suffolk County and let's Long Island as a whole. How bad is human trafficking here on Long Island compared to, let's say, a city or upstate? How do we compare? 
It's happening everywhere, Frank. Rural areas, it's happening in Long Island, it's happening in New York City, it's happening everywhere, right under our noses. Our children, our children are being trafficked, our children are being kidnapped, our children are being forced to have sex with total strangers um, uh, for money. And they, again, um, and the people who are the, the traffickers are, um, are, 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 are evil. They're making out, they realized a long time ago, you can only sell a violet crack once. You can sell a human body over and over and over again. And that's, so it is, it is rampant. It is going on every single day and we need to open our eyes to it. And I want to, I, I wanted to, I, I, to, just to give you a sense of who these victims are. Again, they're runaways, they're throwaways, they're kids who were physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused at home. They ran away. They were looking for someone, something, someone, a family, and they wound up in the hands, in, 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 the, gri- in the grips of, of, of the trafficker. And if I could, I want to play for you a clip, an audio clip of some of the survivors um, who, uh, from uh, there's a program called uh, Gems Girls Educational and Mentoring Services, uh, and they worked with me closely in my first human trafficking court. And this is some of the voices of some of the survivors who were, uh, that, were, that uh, went through that program. Please do. Those, those voices, Frank, those yes. voices, they're still, those, that's from 20 years ago, uh, but those voices are still, uh, are, are still out there in our community. Those are the, those are the poor lost innocents, the forgotten souls, um, and, and who suffer so much, um, and, and, and we need to, we, we need to recognize that. And we need to we need to help them. That's heart wrenching. I'm the father of four. My youngest is a daughter, and you know, there but for the grace of God, right? Go I or my daughter. Honestly, what a disgraceful batch of people that would take advantage of human beings like this and just use them like worse than cattle. I mean, uh, worse treatment and drug them up and everything else. Again, Judge Fernando. Camacho is our very special guest, Frank McKay here, and what you heard there is a survivor, a survivor of human trafficking, and unfortunately, there are some who do not survive. You know, we spoke about Gilgo Beach killings, you know, earlier, and that's our focus on this series, Lisk, Long Island serial killing. How many of these folks around the country, around the world, do you imagine, Your Honor, end up? losing their lives to this i mean are there statistics are they vague statistics is it hard to get a hold of them or is there good hard facts on these frank it's happening every day we're losing another kid every day another person every day 
um, uh, because, you know, we all know about trauma, how trauma affects people, how, uh, but the trauma that is experienced by sex trafficking victims is one of the most destructive types of damage. It is really, really difficult to, to overcome. Uh, and I'll, g- I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, when I first came out here to Suffolk County, I could talk about this now because the case is over, the, appeal, the appeals are over. Uh, I presided over the first sex trafficking trial here in Suffolk County. And uh, the uh, victim was a 16-year-old uh, young runaway. Um, I'll call her T, first initial. And uh, she had run away from home. Her father had passed away. Uh, there was a lot of uh, chaos at home, and she ran away, and she wound up in a zombie house uh, down here in, in, in Suffolk, and uh, living with, a, you know, just drug addicts who just all they just got through the day by just getting high all day long, these, these people, uh, these poor people. And all of a sudden, one day after she's there for two or three days, in walks the drug dealer, uh, the bag, hey, who's that kid over there? I never saw her before. Come here. And the other people in the house are told, stay away from that guy. You, T, you don't want to be with that guy. Stay away from that guy. No, no, come here, kid. Come on, come with me. You're coming with me. You're coming for a ride. Uh, a couple of days doing drugs. It's like, can I go back now, please? Uh, nope. You're going to a motel room. I'm going to take pictures of you. I'm going to put ad- advertise. I'm going to put ads out. And for a week, she was kept in that hotel room. She was not allowed to leave. Stranger after stranger would come into the room to have sex with her. Um, uh, after a week of this, and she's like, please, can I go home now? Please, can I go home now? Some of these Johns, she would tell them, look, I'm being held against my will. Can you please call 911? Nope, sorry, I'm, 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 not, I'm not getting involved. Uh, at, after a week of this, um, um, she's forced to, she's taken at 3 o'clock in the morning to Jamaica Avenue, where she's forced to have uh, sex on the bathroom floor, men's bathroom floor, with three disgusting, complete strangers. Um, and and, and the, the, she drives her back to the hotel. He falls asleep, and she's able to run out into the street half naked and flag down a motorist who brought her to the police. That person was subsequently uh, indicted. That person, person was subsequently tried uh, in, my, in my courtroom. This brave, uh, this brave young girl came in and pointed at him te- and, and testified to, to 12 jurors, to 16 total strangers about the horrible things that had happened to her um, and pointed at him uh, and tell him, that's the guy who did this to me. What a brave kid. Um, well, it, it doesn't have a fair, it doesn't have a happy ending, Frank, because about a year ago she it was just too much for her. Uh, at the age of um, um, 20, um, 21, she's um, she had she, she passed away of an overdose, um, and that is that is that is um, something that's happening all the time to trafficking victims. And most recently, Frank, uh, last week, as, early, as, as recently as last week, there was a young woman I was working with in my in my youth part. Uh, her name was Shannon, and uh, she was uh, arrested. As part of a, a, um, these individuals who were uh, driving to New York uh, to, to sell guns, she was in, in the tractor trailer with them, two of them, and she gets indicted along with them for the guns. And, and ultimately, it comes out that she was a, she was their victim. She that she had been kidnapped and she was a trafficking victim. And um, we once we realized that the DA's office did the right thing, they um, they, they helped her. They let her out. Of, we let her out of jail and we put her in a program and try to deal with some of her issues. Um, last week, Frank, I was, she still has her case was pending in my part. Uh, last week she overdosed. Um, so Shannon's gone. So that is, that is happening every single day. And we as a community need to realize and understand that we have to, that we can't ignore these children. We can't ignore these kids because they are suffering. And, 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 and it is, I know it's a difficult issue to face. I know it's, it's hard to look at these kids in the face. Um, and, and, and but we have to we have to face this. You mentioned early on in this last piece that the drug dealer will take situation that I'm sure varies from time to time, but so much the same. We'll take a new young lady and take her out and get her high and purposely get her addicted if she's not addicted already, and then takes her to a hotel, takes pictures, and advertises. 
up until a few years ago, I think Craigslist was a big deal having to do with this. And I know it's changed, but it's not like they went on the dark web. I mean, this is the same place you went to put your lawnmower for sale or for a garage sale or for a children's party. There at one time and not too long ago, people were meeting prostitutes, victims of sex trafficking on Craigslist, just outright on Craigslist. So it's not like it's the dark web. It, it's hidden in plain sight. It, it, it's in plain sight. And, uh, you know, it, it's changed a little bit. They've gone on the ground a little bit because there's been some attention paid to them. The guy, the, 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 in, that, in that same trafficking trial, the, the person from Craigslist testified to, to authenticate the, the, the ads. And, and, and it, I, I, somebody asked him, don't you have standards? But, you know, but, oh, yeah, this is not. Are you kidding me? This is a, this is a half naked. Obviously, a, 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 a minor. Um, are, are you serious? So uh, there's been more attention paid to them, but they have gone a little, little bit on the ground, but it's still out in plain sight. They're using more coded messages, but it's still there. Um, the, the buyers still recognize what, what, you know, what those terms mean, and they still know how to get in touch with the, with the, with the, with the traffickers and the, and the pimps. How are the laws in New York State, and how do we compare to other parts of the country when it comes to trying to protect the trafficking victims? What, what I understood 20 years ago, um, and it was, such, it was like an ah moment for me, it's like an epiphany. When I looked at that little kid and I said, I'm not doing this anymore, uh, I can't, uh, this, is, this, is, this is insane, this is unconscionable, um, I realized at that moment, I had realized a long before, but I didn't have the courage to, to act on it before, I realized that these weren't criminals, that they were actually the victims. And ever since then, I treated every single person who came into my, we started the Human Trafficking Intervention Court, every single person who came in uh, being arrested for prostitution was treated as a, as, a, as a victim and not as a criminal, and they were referred for services. Uh, and as a result of that, there are now Human Trafficking Intervention Courts throughout New York State, so we, we've come a long way. But I think ultimately, I think what it has to, it has to culminate in this, Frank. The, the realization that I, that, that I came to all those years ago that these were victims and not criminals needs to, needs to, to make our way into our, in, 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 into our, into our statutes, into our, into our laws. And, uh, there is presently a, a, a bill that has been introduced by Senator Kruger, um, in, in the Senate, uh, and, uh, Assemblywoman Hunter in the Assembly. Uh, it's called the Equality Model. And what the Equality Model is, is that we, we now recognize that Persons arrested for prostitution are not criminals or victims. And when you treat them as such, they're not going to be arrested anymore. They're going to be prosecuted. They're not going to be prosecuted anymore. What they're going to be, once you find them, they're going to be referred for services um, to help them uh, get out of their life and overcome the trauma that they suffered. On the other hand, the people who are, who are actually, who are actually, um, uh, who trafficked them, the, 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 the brothel owners, the, the managers, the, the escort service owners, the, the pimps, the, 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 um, 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 uh, the sex tourism operators, um, uh, the Johns, these people would still be arrested and face prosecution. So that seems to me to be um, uh, the way, what we would need to we need to, to to get behind that legislation. We need to start treating persons who are arrested for prostitution, especially young people who are arrested for prostitution, as what they actually are, which are victims, not criminals. Let's not re-victimize them. Let's not put them in jail. Let's get them to professionals. Let's get let's get them the help that they still desperately need. Amen. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to you said that. How likely is that legislation to pass? Well, you can, um, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's going to be a long road, Frank. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Isn't it's that amazing that that would, gonna, it would be hard to pass that legislation. I mean, of course, they're victims. I mean, this is terrible, just terrible. 
but it's it's about awareness, Frank, and educating the community. I mean, I still have people who I, who I respect who like say, but Fernando, they're prostitutes. I said, no, they're not. They're little children, damaged, hurt, hurting, who are so vulnerable. They're the most vulnerable of the vulnerable in our communities, and they are being used. Terrible. We need to get behind them and support them and give them the help that they need. They are not prostitutes. They're victims. They're little, lost, hurt little children. Listen, I'm 100% uh, with And not you. only children, in fact, not only, they don't have to be children. You know what? They're adults, too. And they're, they're just as much of a victim, and they're just as vulnerable, and they need, we need to pay attention to them as well. Yeah, and often these folks that are being victimized, many of them have mental health issues and had issues as children that just, you know, made them more vulnerable. But the substance abuse, unfortunately, is epidemic as well. Everything that this man says, I listen to as law. He is, uh, no one knows better than the man who set up the first human trafficking court in New York. And now there's others that followed Judge Fernando Camacho has been our very special guest. Before you go, Your Honor, around the country, are they following your lead? Are they following the lead here to set up these human trafficking courts, or is New York kind of standing alone? Are there other states that are doing this as well? Other jurisdictions are following the lead, but New York State has been a leader in this. Uh, and we have been over the last 20 years. Uh, we have passed some of the most progressive legislation in terms of protecting victims of human trafficking. Uh, and other other states are, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, are, are far behind. But at least, you know, we're out there. I'm out there speaking all the time about human trafficking. I've, I've spoken uh, across in diff different states about human trafficking. And again, it's about making people realize that these individuals engaged in prostitution are not, many of them are not there of their own free will, and many of them aren't free to leave. Uh, and all of them are damaged, broken, hurting, suffering. Your Honor, is there a website or a social media site you could point people to where they can kind of follow and see what's going on with human trafficking? There's an organization called New York Fem, N-Y-F-E-M. Uh, they have a web website that talks about, uh, that, that, that deals with the equality model um, uh, that, we, uh, that, that we just discussed. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a good resource for following what's happening with the legislation. Judge Fernando Camacho, thank you for everything you're doing. Congratulations on all the success of your effort. We know we're a long way from the finish line. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me, Frank. And to the rest of you, I want to thank you for listening. This is the heart of it. We're doing the LISC series, but at the heart of it is the human trafficking epidemic that's going on and those 10 to 16 we don't know exactly victims bodies the remains that we have found that someone had found these are victims and for the most part they are victims of human trafficking if not all of them are, are victims of that and that's at the heart of everything that we're talking here these are people they're not hookers they're not prostitutes or whatever. These are people first and foremost. You can say what you want. Yes, uh, sex workers. If they weren't sex workers and they were the girls next door, again, people would be banging the police doors down to get the investigation going and further increase everything. 
these are victims that are there, not only victims of a murder, but victims beforehand. And there are others waiting, unfortunately, ready to join them unwittingly. Human sex trafficking is epidemic, and it has to be talked about, and we will be talking about it in this series. Our very special guest has been a great judge, a wonderful man, and his life's work is just passionately behind this and so many other issues involving youth. Judge Fernando Camacho has been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down and our Lisk series. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more important. Eric Newman is our very special guest, and he is a wonderful comedian, and he is laugh out loud funny. You can check out his new comedy special, But Enough About Me, a crowd work special, and it's available on YouTube, and uh, live dates, and all kinds of things, and I'll give you that as we let him go in a bit. You've seen him on The Tonight Show and so many other great late night shows. He is terrific. Eric Newman, how are you? Hey, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well, man. Thank you. All right, listen, thrilled to have you. And if you can, give us a little bit about the special. How long has it been in the works? And did you start planning during the real heavy COVID time? And this is kind of a breakout show. Or is this something new? So, uh, I'm, a great question. I, uh, I actually... Um you know, as, as I've been, um, well, as during the pandemic, I was posting all these uh, crowd work clips, um, just sort of little clips of me, and uh, and that sort of resulted in me having a growing fan base on Instagram, on TikTok, um, to, to the point that you know now my crowd has sort of come to expect that I'm going to talk to the crowd a bunch. Um, so my headlining style has now sort of transitioned from pre-written jokes to a mixture of pre-written jokes and uh, and crowd work, talking to the crowd. Um, and so I I always like to give myself you know another challenge. And I said you know what if one night I just do no jokes, nothing, no pre-written material, wow. live or die by the crowd, and. Uh, and it went really well. It was fun. And so it resulted in about 32 minutes of, uh, of me just talking to the audience. And that is the special that's out now. It came out about 10 days ago. That is a very courageous thing to do for any performer, certainly a comedian, just to work off. It shows a tremendous amount of confidence. Would you have been able to do this, say, five years ago, 10 years ago? No way. Not even close. I mean, I think, I think five years ago... It's probably around the time that I started to realize, oh, okay, you can go into the crowd and make a moment funny. But as I kept doing it and getting on stage, I kind of tried to do it a little more. I mean, you know, I, I've been doing stand-up 14 years now, Frank. I mean, the first the first few years of stand-up, you know, you have your five minutes memorized in your head, word for word. And if anybody even coughs, you you pretend like it didn't happen. I mean, you're like, oh, if somebody says something, you. I see. It's funny. I'll sometimes just occasionally see a new comedian, and uh, they'll be doing their set, and someone will say something to try to interrupt, and they'll pretend like the person never said it, like they don't even acknowledge the comment, because you don't want to get thrown off in any way. And I think probably what happened is at one point someone shouted something, and I said something back, and the whole crowd laughed, and I go, oh wow, I, I guess I. I can be funny on the spot. Um, 
And then I sort of just started like honing it more and more. And then I get, I got to a point now where I'm just very, very confident. I really feel like I'm going to make any interaction funny. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a good place to be. I'm excited about it. And that's why this special is sort of like marks a big moment in my career. Do you remember the first time you saw any comedian stand out with their crowd work? Um, there's a guy, there's a couple guys who, you know, throughout my career, I've just been really impressed by. There's a comic named Big J Okerson. Um, he, he just was so on, he's different than I, completely different in the, in the, in our styles of approaching crowd work, but I mean, he's very, very dirty comedian. I, I don't typically go too dirty. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely become edgy, but I mean, uh, it was just, but, but the way he was able to just talk to the crowd. I was really blown away by it, um, and, and just just this rawness. I mean, there's nothing. And and, and to be honest, I put, sort of fought against it a little. Like, you know, I, I'm a very I'm a very like as as confident as I may appear to be on stage. I definitely process everything, and I'm very nervous deep down. And I I really like overthink things. And I you know I would always ask my comic friends. I would just be like, oh, is this like is this like cheap what I'm doing? And they were like. Dude, this is like when something amazing happens in the room and everybody's there for it and everybody knows that it's only in that moment at that night, at that time, and that nobody will witness exactly what happened again. There's a, there's a sort of magic to it. And uh, and so I, I stopped sort of fighting against it and I embraced it. And that's just made me a much more well-rounded, uh, uh, you know, sort of versatile comic, I guess. You know, to say cheap is almost like, you know, yelling that you're very hard on yourself. I mean, to me, it's the opposite of being cheap. I mean, this is a very courageous move to do this as, you know, as a special and to go into it. And you're great. I mean, your live stuff is just absolutely fantastic. It's my son loves you and, you know, all his friends. It's good stuff. And I think you have a reputation of being a smart comic, too. You deal with smart things. And if you're dealing with smart comedy on the fly in an improv type setting and when I say improv I mean the crowd work I mean that's something to be proud of definitely the opposite of cheap when you ask me are you the type of person who's very hard on themselves I mean are you I... oh, oh oh Frank Frank you nailed it man I mean I think uh, I, 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 I've like that's something I've worked very hard on in therapy in the last year and a half is <laughs> is just is just to uh, twice a week by the way if that gives you an idea um <laughs> um is just to chill, man, and to just be like, look, you don't have to kill yourself. And and you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time where it's like, as hard as I am on myself, I think ultimately it's been a good and a bad thing for me, but ultimately a good thing because now that I've known to sort of, to sort of um, monitor, like, you know, and, and to sort of monitor how hard I'm being on myself, I've gotten that sort of under control now. But my initial instinct was, look, man, you got to be great. And that's where the, the harshness when dealing with me came into play, right? That's, that's where, that's why, that's the root of me being so hard on myself is just like, dude, you got to be great at this. You have to be great or else what is, what else is there? So, uh, I think, I think that's sort of where it came from. And I'm glad I had that initial instinct. Um, but now, now I'm learning to sort of just be more mentally and emotionally healthy and go, Eric, you can't, you're not going to be able to be perfect all the time, you know, and, um, and, and I, and I understand that, you know, on an emotional level. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, 
I'm definitely definitely hard on myself naturally, but I've got gotten it under control, which I'm which I'm happy about. Uh, Eric Newman, listen, thrilled to have you on and just a wonderful career you've put together. And I'm going to predict that a lot of other of your colleagues, a lot of the other people that you work with, they're going to start doing the same thing as this, you know, and start concentrating more on crowd work and you'll see other specials. But I think you're going to blaze a trail here. So congratulations to you for that and everything else that you've been doing. And we'll talk about the special as we let you go. Give us a website or a social media site where people can follow along with what you're doing. Yeah, I'm, uh, so my website is ericnewmancomedy.com. It's a N-E-U-M-A-N-N comedy.com. Uh, all my social media is the same. TikTok, Instagram, it's at I'm, I-M-E-R-I-C-N-E-U-M-A-N-N, at I'm Eric Newman, both on TikTok and on Instagram. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Frank. See you soon. Eric Newman, you know, it's upon us. It's out. But enough about me, a crowd work special. And again, what he's talking about is he's not going out there and doing any set material in the special. He's just going out. I don't want to say improv because when you improv, that's like, hey, you know, shout out something, you know, shout out some scenario, you know, it's that type of thing. Like it's not a workshop situation. He's working off of the crowd and what people are saying. And obviously people are going to heckle and people encouraging people at this point to say things, and to do things. It's a very courageous thing to do for a comedian, and he does it very well. Eric Newman, big following out there, and you've seen him on The Tonight Show, and it was ranked like the second best moment of late-night TV, uh, you know, for that time period. And, you know, it's always good to catch somebody, even though he's been doing it for 14 years. He's on the rise now, and he's doing very well, but he's really, the best days are ahead of him. You can tell that for sure. But enough about me. A crowd work special is Eric Newman's new comedy special. You can get it on YouTube and, uh, you know, get live dates there. Tickets, ericnewmancomedy.com. And it's good to see somebody trying something that's a little different. And I know people will say, hey, you know, this guy made a career out of it or this woman made a career out of it. But usually, usually you're watching comedians uh, do something day after day. And if you see them in Wichita, Kansas, and you see them, you know, in Dallas, Texas, a couple of days later, it's the same show with, you know, a little bit of deviation. And they record all the shows and they kind of pick out the best. And, you know, they kind of, with everything that's going on recording wise, now you don't have to have a big crew to record something well at a comedy club. But, you know, it's something a little different that he's doing. Good for him. Kudos. Eric Newman has been our very special guest. And again, but enough about me. A crowd work special is his latest. Check it out on YouTube. It's out now. Frank McKay signing off. We'll talk to you next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.